Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor of Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. Well, we enter chapter four, the final chapter in the letter of uh, the book of Philippians. Paul is going to uh, finish up here shortly in the next couple of weeks. We'll get through this, but we're, you can make your way over to Philippians chapter four. Our series is called Contentment in the Crisis. So how do you find contentment in the midst of a crazy world that we're living in? Life has moments of joy, excitement, memorable occasions, and it also has plenty of moments of disappointments, discouragement, and despair. And the latter can lead us into ruts for weeks, for months, or even years But as we'll see today, prayer and praise will pull us out of the ruts that we fall into in our lives. And oftentimes it's as simple as changing one's perspective. In a town in Israel, a man came to see his rabbi seeking advice regarding some trouble he was experiencing. He said, Rabbi, life is unbearable for my family and me. There are nine of us living in a single room, 1,200 square foot flat. What can I do? The rabbi thought for a moment and he answered, take your goat from your barn and put it inside your house and keep him there. The man was overwhelmed and a bit skeptical, but the rabbi insisted, do as I say and come back next week. A week later, the man came back looking even more upset than before. He said, Rabbi, we cannot stand it anymore. We, we, the goat is filthy. He's loud. And he gives me bruises from butting me on the hip. This is terrible. And the rabbi told him, go home. Let the goat out and back into the barn. Come back next week. A week later, the man returned all joyful, and he rejoiced loudly, and he shouted, Life is beautiful, Rabbi. We enjoy every minute of our lives now. There's no goat. There's no smell. There's no noise in the middle of the night, and the bruises on my hip are recovering. It's just the nine of us now, and life is great. (laughs) Perspective is important, isn't it? Let's read our passage for today. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, or because of this, uh, uh, when you see the word therefore, you want to note what it's there for. In this case, he's talking about something he just talked about at the end of chapter 3, which was the second coming of Christ, that we have grace in Christ. Therefore, or because of this, my beloved and longed for brethren. He's been in prison for a long time. He longs to see these people. He calls him his beloved and long for a brother and my joy and my crown. Listen, there's no greater joy than having led people to Christ and to see them again. When I see someone that I've gotten to lead to Christ, it could be years, it could be decades later. Uh, there's a joy that's just between us because we had that special moment when they accepted Christ as their savior. And it also says he calls them his crown. It, note to self, there are crowns that you and I are eligible to receive and to earn in this lifetime now you can't earn your salvation but afterwards the holy spirit tells us and the bible tells us that that god has prepared things for you to do after you've accepted christ 
And so there are crowns that are available. So stand fast in the Lord. Don't give up. Remember, they're being persecuted left and right. The Romans are brutal, but so are the Jews. They're, uh, they're still persecuting them. Verse 2, I implore Eudia uh, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, apparently they're having some kind of argument that we are not privy to. This is a letter again to uh, the saints there in Philippi, but apparently these two women are having a little spat or an argument about how to do something in the church. Verse 3, and I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Listen, if your name, if you don't know if your name is in the book of life, you better find out. Only those whose names are in the book of life at the end of the world, when Christ returns, will be ushered into heaven. If you know, don't know that your name's in the book of life, look out. Go find out. You can find out. There's a way that you can know, Paul says. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. There's an exclamation point at the end of that. Paul is shouting in his letter. He's telling him to rejoice. Verse 5, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Verse 9, the things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. In his time with them, Paul is thinking back now, oh, I remember the good times we had in Philippi. I remember enjoying sweet worship and fellowship with these people. He's telling them, do you remember those things that you saw in me as I worshiped the Lord? Those things that you saw in me as I prayed to the Lord? Those things that you saw in me that I trusted in the Lord? These things, you do these things, and then you will have peace. Did you know that part of the United States was actually occupied by the enemy during World War II? Some of Alaska's Aleutian Islands were held by Japanese troops during the war. To supply the war effort, the United States government hastily built the Alaskan Highway through the Canadian Rockies. Some years after the war ended, the Alcan Highway, which is uh, um, Alaska-Canadian Highway, they call it the Alcan, the Alcan Highway opened to the public. Little had changed along its 1,523 miles of rough dirt filled with rut, mud, and treacherous snaking curves through the mountains. This is not for your Honda Civic. <laughs> I want to do this someday with my Jeep. I want to do it really bad. Debbie, not so much, but I, I, I would really. 
<laughs> Shortly after being open to the public, though, someone posted the following sign at the beginning on the American end. It said this, choose your rut carefully. You will be in it for the next 1,500 miles. <laughs> you know, we write ruts in our lives, don't we? It's the, it's the go-to in our life. Be careful what ruts you're making in your life. Let's find out how we can get out of uh, the rut of discouragement and disappointment into the rut of authentic joy. Paul's going to give us the recipe here. Number one, in your notes, and if, if you take notes, and I encourage you to do so, flip your bulletin over and you can start writing. Number one, let's define joy. Dictionary.com tells me that joy is a noun. It's the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. Keen pleasure or elation. It's a source of co- or cause of keen pleasure or delight, something or someone greatly valued or appreciated. And as he wrote Philippians, Paul wasn't sitting on a beach sipping fruit juice from a coconut with you know, a little umbrella on it. That's not where he's writing from. He's writing from the inside of the Mamertine jail. Back then, they tied a rope around your waist. They kicked your feet out from under you, and you fell through a hole about 30 feet, and they let you down on a rope. It's a hollowed-out room, small room. And you would have sat there in the utter darkness because they, there was a stone that went over the hole that they dropped you through. It's a cave. And then they would push the stone back over it. And you just sat there in, in, in pitch black darkness. When it, it came time to eat, they would drop you some morsels through the roof. You would fight over it with everyone else in the room. When you went to the restroom, you just went to the restroom. It was a terrible place. Terrible place. You would think, how could Paul write the book of joy from a place like that? That's insane. That's insane. But that's where he was sitting. And, and, and when they would let him out for trial... He would be chained to a Roman guard for days on end until the trial, until his testimony or whatever was done. So he's probably chained to a guard at this point. And he wrote with a, uh, from a heart of joy and confidence promises like that of Philippians 1.6, if you were here back in the beginning. He wrote this, He who has begun, begun a good work in you, he's talking to the Philippians, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That day of Jesus Christ is, is the day Jesus Christ comes back for his saints. Just as it is right for me to think of you this way, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. How are they partakers of the grace that Paul is speaking of? Paul's alone in the prison. Well, here's here's how they got involved. They mourned over Paul getting arrested. They prayed for him daily. And then at at some point, they sent a gift to him. You see, back in the Roman days here, if you went to to jail or prison, you you were on your own. You wanted food, your family better send some or you're going to go hungry. And so the, the Philippians gathered money and they put it into an account at the jail. Paul could draw on that so that he could buy food and 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 clothing and things that he needed there while he was in, in jail. That's how they, t- they, they became par- partakers of the gospel and the grace that Paul speaks of. Letter A, 
Here's what joy is not. It's not external. We're not talking about an external joy. It's not the wearing of a mask, pretending that everything's okay. Joy is not coming to church with a, with a plastered smile, pretending that everything's okay when your world is falling apart. That's not the joy that I'm talking about. During this COVID-19 fiasco, people have taken to putting on various faces onto their face masks that they wear. I've seen some of them. Some are just little smiles. Some of them are roses and that. Some of them are actually kind of scary. Uh, I think they would scare my grandkids if they, you know, if they saw that. But uh, it, it's a mask. But here's what happens. It hides your true identity for better or for worse. Now, I understand that there are instances where masks are beneficial and even needed, uh, but frankly, there's a real downside to mandating the wearing of masks by the masses. I believe we're losing our sense of fellowship, our sense of friendship in our community by negating facial responses. If you've been to the grocery store, it's weird now. I mean, I smi- I just ha- I- I'm just one of those guys that smiles at everyone. It's weird because people just have this blank look back at me. They can't see my smile, and I can't see theirs if they are. Isolating from one another has caused a spike in suicides by as much as 20% in many communities. The one I just left in San Diego, they're over 20% spike in suicides. That's That's for another message, though. What I'm talking about is putting on fake smiles I'm, I read years ago that the writer of the song called Smile, now you've got to be over uh, 60 years old to know what that song is. In fact, uh, probably I, the only reason I know it is because my mom and dad uh, had the record, I think, the 45. I know that if you're under 50, you don't know what a 45 is. It's not a gun. There was a record that was called a 45. Never mind. It's too, it's too long. But here's how the song goes. <laughs> he wrote, smile, though your heart is aching. Smile though your heart is breaking. When there are clouds in the sky, you'll get by. If you smile through your fear and sorrow, smile, and maybe tomorrow you'll see the sun come shining through for you. One of the co-writers of the song, I was told, committed suicide after he wrote that. I wonder what his family thought. Did he plaster a smile on at family events? wonder what his neighbors thought. Did he smile at them when he went and got the newspaper and went inside and cried? That's called wearing a mask. That's not the kind of joy we're talking about. Joy isn't pretending that everything is okay. It's not hiding your feelings. B, letter B, here's what joy is. It's internal. Joy is found internal. It begins inside of you, in your heart. Our surroundings might bring external joy temporarily, but they won't bring you internal joy. Internal joy is ongoing and it's lasting. Number one, joy is an inward contentment. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.12, he said this, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. You see, he, he, if you go to the Corinthians, he, in his letters to them, he wrote about, hey, I, I was shipwrecked. I was I was almost killed. I was stoned by rocks and left for dead. He, lists, he has this list of things that, that went on in his life. He understood more than probably anyone what it was to go through conflict. He had learned 
the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether or not he was chained to a guard, whether or not he was in that hole where they kept him, he knew his surroundings didn't have anything to do with his joy. If he was going to find joy, it would have to come from inside. He said, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Real joy is found in inward contentment. Number two, joy is keeping an eternal perspective in the storms of life. It's keeping an internal perspective, but it's also keeping an eternal perspective no matter what happens to you. There's a story I just love. I've told it several times here at the church. A guy named Horatio Spafford, a 43-year-old Chicago businessman, a very wealthy person, owned property all over downtown uh, Chicago, suffered financial disaster in the great Chicago fire of 1871. Someone said that he lost 50% of his entire uh, wealth and portfolio burned up in, in, in a period of 48 hours when the fire ran through where all his property was. In addition to that, he and his wife were still grieving over the death of their son shortly before the fire, and he realized they needed to get away for a vacation. It had been a year since his son died. It it had been six months since he had lost almost all of his wealth, and they're depressed. The home, there was gloom over their home. And so this father, Horatio, says, listen, let's go to England, uh, knowing that their friend Dwight L. Moody was going to preach an evangelistic campaign over in England that fall, Spafford decided to take his entire family that was left, his wife and four daughters, went ahead on the SS Ville de Haver. And he planned to follow a few days later. He was supposed to be on that ship with them. However, business took him away. He needed to go to a meeting that following Monday. Uh, he was required to go to it. And so he said, listen, honey, you take the, the, our daughters over and I will meet you in England. I'll follow on the next ship over that's a week later. Get yourself set up in the hotel. I'll be there right after that. We'll go to these evangelistic meetings with Dwight L. Moody and, uh, and, and perhaps God will lighten our mood. But on the Atlantic Ocean, the Ville de Haver was struck by an iron sailing vessel that had no lights on and sank within 12 minutes. 226 lives were lost, including Spafford's remaining four daughters. When the survivors were brought to shore in Cardiff, Wales, Mrs. Spafford cabled her husband with two simple words. Saved alone. Spafford booked passage on the next ship as they were crossing the Atlantic. He asked the captain, when will we be over the Ville de Haver? I want to be on the handrail when we go over it. I want to see the place where my daughters are entombed. The captain says it'll be in the middle of the night. He said, wake me. So the captain awoke him 10 minutes before they got there, the coordinates that was given that night. And he woke him and he brought him out. Spafford all by himself at the railing in the middle of the night, in the wee hours of the morning, took a scrap piece of uh, a napkin and he had a pen. And he began to talk to the Lord. And the captain came to him and said, we're over the ship right now. 
he penned the following words to, I, I think, perhaps the greatest um, song that was ever, ever written. See if you know it. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, Spafford knew the secret. Things in life are not going to go the way we plan them. And sometimes great tragedy is going to come upon us. But he knew he could trust in the Lord. He knew that out of this, somehow, some way, that he couldn't see in the moment, God was going to make it right. By the way, I don't think you'll ever sing that song again after you'd understand the story that was written behind it. That's called maintaining an eternal perspective in tragedy. So number one, joy is an inward contentment. Number two, joy is keeping an uh, eternal perspective in the storms of life. And here's number three, joy is only found in the Lord. Joy is only found. You can look high and low. You can, you can uh, look in places the world tells you to find it. You'll never find it. You can only find it in the Lord. Paul wrote number four, uh, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord. I underline that in my Bible because, listen, joy can't be found anywhere else but in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice, he says. In the midst of all of this is going on, he doesn't know if, he, if the next day he's going to be beheaded by, by Nero or, or, or if he's going to be sentenced to 30 years to life. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But he knows that God is with him, and he knows that he can, have, he can rejoice if he does so in the Lord, if he trusts in him. He didn't say rejoice in your circumstances. Those change often. He didn't say rejoice when you get an illness. You who? I've got, I'm sick. Yay, I've got cancer. He's not talking about rejoicing in the illness. What he's saying is rejoice in the Lord because he's always with you. He will walk you through it. Your darkest night, he's there. He said, rejoice in the Lord because he's always with you. His peace is always there for us and his encouragement surrounds us during these times of crisis. Riches won't make you joyful inside forever. Having the right family won't make you joyful forever or the right influence, having the most power or having the most money or the most things, the best looking car or the best paying job won't bring eternal joy that's lasting. It just won't. Jesus brings joy because our God is greater than our greatest problem. I don't care what you can name today, God is greater than that. And he wants to give you peace. He wants to restore the peace that you had maybe long ago. The result, the result of our eternal joy is found in verse 5, the beginning of it. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Paul says in these times of crisis, don't get angry Start, you know, picking fights. He says, no, let your gentleness be known. We should be known as believers, as Christ followers. We should be known by our gentleness for each other and for the world. Aristotle said that gentleness is a quality that keeps one from insisting on his full rights. No, it's 
all of these things or none of these things. The world wants to fight for, over every little issue. We shouldn't be known for that. We should stand for truth. But when we're sharing Christ, as Greg Laurie said, don't seek to win the argument. Seek to win the soul. You don't have to be right about everything. Paul gives us a reason we should have internal joy and gentleness. And I don't think we can have one without the other. When we're looking at this in the Greek, um, he says in verse 5, The Lord is at hand. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.